0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for First St. Charles United Methodist Church in downtown St. Charles, Missouri. We are so glad that you're here, and it's our prayer that you feel safe, welcome, and wanted in this space. If you're interested in finding out more about us or supporting our ministries, you can connect with us online at FirstSt.CharlesUMC.org. Today's scripture comes from the Book of Psalms, chapter 116. And the second book of Corinthians, chapter 11. From Psalms, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. From Second Corinthians, but I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. This is God's Word, living and growing in us. Thanks be to God. There are some days I find the challenge breathtakingly stunning. I'm here getting ready to preach, and I'm aware that there are as many as five generations worshiping with us. How do we ever dare to speak a word of God Almighty to five generations at once we don't look alike, think alike, act alike the experience of someone in their 80's or 90's differs wildly from someone in their teens how do we speak a word of God to each other? even our experiences of God differ wildly some of us have had transforming moments that we can point to and say then that's when I was converted on that day in that place and at that time on the other hand my goodness others of us can barely remember yesterday but we have known a lifetime of being moved more and more to become in God's image what's more some of us could Testify to having known too much of what theologians call the backside of God, the hidden, incognito God, the God who is present with us as absence in our lives. In contrast, there are others who seem to have only known love, 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 and abundance of God's blessing, palpable presence our experience of God do differ wildly as Lynn Sweet puts it Jesus is a singular noun but a plural experience I take that to mean that we do experience God in the plurality of our own unique and varied experiences and that we know God most fully in the plurality of our experiences together I'll ask it again how do we speak a word of God to each other some will do so in a reductive approach that tries to squeeze everyone into the same mold flattening out all experiences into one type elevating one way to God as the essence of all that's required as a teenager growing up in a Baptist church, I got a more than reasonable dose of this approach. It came in the form of a formula that said, pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. That was it. That's all that was needed, now or ever. It was my ticket out of hell and into heaven. It was that simple. Problem solved. One of the things I truly love about my Methodist home is the more expansive room for growth. From the beginning, John Wesley challenged us to see God's activity in our lives as varied, from that prevenient grace that is with us before we were ever aware, to that justifying grace that quickens us, to the sanctifying grace that makes us again and again daily disciples, intentionally, methodically, into God's image in Christ Jesus in that spirit and to that end today we start a new series on spiritual growth the educators and psychologists among us will know the names Piaget, Kohlberg, Lawrence the philosophers will know Ricoeur, Gilligan, Williber. they all in some ways have contributed to this series as a college student I imbibed the work of James Fowler the Methodist professor at Emory the son of a North Carolina Methodist preacher whose work on faith development shaped me into a Methodist before I ever knew what hit me. It was like I woke up one day from a stupor and said, Dang, how did I become a Methodist? Recently, it was all reinforced for me in the reading of Brian McLaren's book, Faith After Doubt. He boils it down to this fourfold pattern simplicity complexity perplexity harmony you could think of these as successive stages on a ladder we are after all climbing jacob's ladder where every rung goes higher higher mclaren suggests instead thinking of these as rings of growth on a tree it's not that we leave behind earlier stages they stay with us forming the core of who we are and making possible our continued growth or he says maybe think of these as tools skill sets that you have at your disposal that we start out with one we may acquire more simplicity complexity Perplexity, harmony. Today, simplicity. As sophisticated a person as Coco Chanel once said, simplicity is the keynote of all true elegance. Or as Walt Whitman put it, the art of art, the glory of expression, and the sunshine of the light of letters is simplicity. It's a theme echoed in Scripture the Lord protects the simple when I was brought low he saved me and again but I fear lest, by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ it's not keep it simple stupid its keep it simple wise there is wisdom in simplicity. Describing the faith of the simple, McLaren graphs it out. For the simple, the focus is on a right and wrong view of the world. There is a kind of dualism to the worldview of persons at this stage. The world people are perceived as either good or evil. There's no shading of grays. It's black and white. You either like Coke or you like Pepsi. You can't like both. For those in this stage, the motivation is to please others, to achieve goals, to obey authority, developing skills and becoming independent. But at the same time, those in this stage assume that Everything in the world is either known or knowable. Knowledge is power. Power is what authorities have. And speaking of authorities, they are primarily our parents, but also teachers, police, pastors, adults. And in this stage, we so want to belong. We want to make sure that we're a part of the right group the true group we're Methodists we're better than and at this stage the core question is what do the authorities say or in faith terms what does the Bible say Uh, taken literally and in this stage God is understood as supreme almighty protector lawgiver patriarch. Mistakes are legal infractions, moral failures, disobedience to authority, ignorance of the rules. Now with all the different stages there are strengths and there are weaknesses. A strength is that persons in this initial stage are highly committed Willing to sacrifice. The weakness is that it can become narrow-minded, judgmental, combative, willing to inflict suffering, and a kind of false certainty. C.S. Lewis warns, those most willing to suffer and die for their faith may also be those most willing to harm and kill for it more could be said maybe you get the idea some people will never get beyond a simple faith and that's okay I'm thinking of two of the most important figures in my own life persons whose faith stood out to me from a very early age as the greatest that there was My Maternal grandfather and my paternal grandmother. Neither went very far in school. Grandpa never made it past the sixth grade. Granny never learned to drive. They both read the Bible daily, almost obsessively. They were good and they were kind. They were simple people. They were humble. They are very much still with me. One of the questions that needs to be asked of each of these fourfold types of spirituality is this. What does grace look like at each particular stage? At this stage, it looks like the psalmist who could trust that the Lord protects the simple. God's got this. God's got me it looks like assurance God has saved me God will save me it looks like providence and it looks like the assurance and confidence that in the end God wins we all win in the meantime it looks like the simplicity that is in Christ or as Paul said in an earlier letter to the Corinthians for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified some of you know that Beth and I are on the cusp of a major home renovation project after working with an architect and after securing a loan and a builder we've got to we've gone to work remodeling our place that I affectionately call the farm for the entirety of our marriage we've lived in two homes splitting life between the two eventually one day it'll be where I retire now it's where Beth mostly lives and she deserves to live in a place that's in better shape all that's to say is we move forward we're having to do some downsizing. Beth is quite admittedly catching the brunt of it now as she has to sort through 50 years of living in that house deciding what to move out, what to keep, what to eventually move back. In odd moments I find myself thinking about what I may eventually need to give up. At some point two houses will become one and I'll need to give up some things that have been with me for a very long time here's a picture of one of those things and quite frankly I'm a little embarrassed to show it to you it's a picture I painted as a sophomore in high school it was the 70s and mod was a thing it's currently hanging hidden behind a door in the parsonage that no one besides me will see. It's a sadness to me to part with something that has been with me so long. I think it's probably time don't you? And while there is a time and a season for acquiring, isn't there another season that needs must follow? A time for parting, for paring down, for giving away. But isn't this a kind of growth too? When it comes down to it, the simplicity that is in Christ, it need not be more complicated than this.